Welcome in. This is God's Word During Exile. We're a group of pastors that uh, get together to study God's Word. Right now, we're going through Luther's small catechism with the emphasis on the Ten Commandments, and so we've been studying those. Uh, we are, dare I name the, the puppy this time like I did last time. Uh, we're on the last part of our discussion on commandment number eight. But then again, you know what's so great about it? Last week I said we were on our last one, and I was basically just the embodiment of breaking the Eighth Commandment. So I will need to go in repentance of my statement before. I apologize for bearing false witness to not only our listeners, but also to you guys. Uh, Did you do it to protect a life, though? I did it to protect my sanity. Oh, okay. Fair enough. (laughs) So here we are, uh, hopefully, unlike last time, the cat who is running around like a madman right now will not want to attack me like he did in our last episode. So we will we'll see how that goes. Um, and I think that's where we're at. Let's get into the conversation. Cool. Well, I'll open us up in a word of prayer today. And so let's go to the Lord. Father God, thanks for today. Thank you again for another opportunity to get together with these guys to study your word, to talk about the commandments, and also uh, discuss what Luther had to say about them. Um, Lord, I ask that you just give us a blessed time today, show us our sin once again, bring us to repentance, point us again to Christ and his finished work for us. Um, Lord, use this time to strengthen our faith in you and equip us for your service. Pray this in your holy name. Amen. Now, the real question is, because Matt's traveling, right? <clears throat> Matt, do you have your catechism on you? I do. Can you set our context today and read the Eighth Commandment again? You bet. You shall be- not bear false witness against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we may not deceitfully belie, betray, slander, or defame our neighbor, but defend him and think, Think and speak well of him and put the best construction on everything. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. Was that and a mine has translation? A nice too, so. Ooh, yeah. that's classy. That is classy. Mm. <laughs> so last, last week we left off um, just before we got to a passage we wanted to discuss that's, that's closely connected to this Eighth Commandment. It's, uh, it's from Matthew chapter 18. Um, and I don't know, what do you guys call this passage? I've always called it the church discipline passage. Um, the heading in my Bible is the, if your brother sins against you, you got a better name for it, Ben? I know you do. You got something sweet. He'll come up with it. It's it's on the way. I'll read it. He'll come up with it. It's fine. It's on, it's coming. <laughs> All right. So I'm reading from the ESV. This is again, Matthew 18, 15 to 20. We're reading Jesus' holy name. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, 
There I am among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is loosed? Loosed? Yeah. It's uh, it's sort of like uh, making something loose. Oh, okay. It's one of the, the words that comes into play with uh, forgiveness. Are you genuinely asking that? No, no, no. I know what it is, but I was figuring that maybe some of our listeners, that's a word that we don't really use within our everyday Americanized English context. So loose might be a a good thing. It kind of reminds me of like loosening, like chains. The chains have been loosed um, or taken off or... That's, that's good for the context too. From the opposite of the of the binding. So if you think about binding someone's, you know, hands or or whatever, or maybe you know, like handcuffs, you know, and the loosing would be taking those off, loosing the bonds, letting you. Letting so so loose means to disbind something. That's the right word, right? Disbind, huh? Disbind. Yeah. So you bind things mm. and then you disbind them. Misdisbind. Mm. 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 <laughs> Miss disunbind? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, let's pull this back in. Uh, so thus far, as we've talked about the commandment, most of what we've had to say is like, if you find out somebody's sin, shut your mouth. <laughs> don't go running your mouth all over the place. Don't tell everybody. Don't post it on the internet. Don't do it. Right. Just because you know something doesn't mean it needs to be public knowledge. But here in Matthew 18, we've got Jesus coming at it from a, a different angle altogether. And Jesus gives us a situation where we should say something. We should do something. Um, so what makes the context that Jesus has different from what we've been talking about thus far? Well, it's not entirely different. I mean, there are different aspects to it. But but it, in the way that it begins, um, so your brother sins against you, right? Instead of you know, harboring the, the grudge, you're going and telling everybody else about it. You know, Jesus says, go to your brother and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And this fits well with the eighth commandment, because if you can clear that up, right, just between you and that person, you have protected that person's reputation as well right it's not blabbed about public knowledge gossip rumor right it's just it's handled between you and the one who has sinned against you so so in that first step there is a concern for that fits well with protecting the reputation of your neighbor of your brother um but also you know, the goal is repentance and restoration. And again, kind of with that is like, if it can be handled in private, do so. Um, and as well, we'll maybe talk about this as we talk more about the passage. This is not the same thing as, you know, sweeping something under the rug or... or Turning a blind eye towards it. Yeah, or a public manifestly public sin being covered up and behind closed that that's not what we're talking about we're talking about private sin this is not this is not something that is done 
uh, obviously or manifestly in public, right? So, so by going to your brother who has sinned against you, um, it does protect his reputation. Um, it also prevents the rumor mill gossip things like that. Um, so, so at least at the first, the first step, the first stage of this, uh, it fits very well with what we've been talking about with the eighth commandment. Um, but there's a progression, right? So if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. And so this is for the purpose of avoiding the he said, she said kind of thing, the hearsay kind of thing, right? Now you have witnesses to the sin that your brother has committed against you. You have witnesses to the fact that, you know, you tried to talk to your, to your brother or sister and resolve that on your own, refuses to repent. So now you have more than just your claim, right? So you're, you're establishing something, you know, objective in that way, right? But even there, it's still not public knowledge, right? Um, and then it goes to the final level, if there's refusal to repent, then it goes to the church. And depending on how, how you understand that, you know, some, some would see in that as a, a public thing, like public to the entire congregation. Um, I've heard it treated as, you know, it doesn't have to be telling it to the church doesn't have to be, you know, like exposure to the entire congregation. Um, it can be to a smaller representative group, like pastor and elders or something like that. So depending on, on where you go with, with that, but it, but at that point, it's, it's more public, but it's still not yet fully public. It would be because the goal is still repentance and reconciliation with the least amount of damage done to reputation and community. But if at that highest level, then there is a refusal to repent. At that point, it's going to become more public because that's at the point where, like when Jesus says, let, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector means let him be to you as one who is not part of the church. Um, and again, that doesn't mean that it's not banning the person from the premises. Um, but really, it would be a barring from uh, participation in the, in the sacrament of the altar and of membership status. Like you would, he would be a member in good standing in that way. And um, our context probably wouldn't be able to serve in a church office or right. yeah. vote at meetings. Yeah. And if, you know, in the case of if he was to go to another congregation and that congregation you know, and he wanted to transfer his membership or something like that, like, you know, it could be known that such and such is under excommunication 
hasn't been resolved yet. Depending on how you work all that, that's not about. But but the the idea here is that it only it only comes to that level or becomes more and more publicly known when there is a continual refusal to repent. The goal is always repentance with minimal damage done to reputation and community. And so the goal is always that it would be resolved at this first level. Mm -hmm. But when that doesn't happen, when there's refusal to repent, then it continues to move up still with that goal of reconciliation as soon as possible um, with as little exposure as possible. Um, but if there's persistent unrepentance, eventually it will come to a at least somewhat public level because there will be public consequences for that. But so I don't know if that helps to make to make some sense. Um, so the goal, yeah, the goal is always restoration and reconciliation as soon as possible even, and with the smallest group as possible. And even the excommunication is meant for that because mm -hmm. if you just let somebody remain as a part of the church with no follow through on this, they'll think they're fine and they'll just keep getting away with it and they will never admit that it's wrong and confess that to God and be forgiven. And that is not loving. The loving thing to do is to bring this up uh, and to try to lead them to restoration with God. And you think that um, this process is not initiated because you want them to get caught and to um, be shamed. Mm -hmm. um, really, uh, you start this process because you love them, even if you're mad at them because they sinned against you particularly. You could be very offended. They could have hurt your reputation. They could have stolen from you. They could have slept with your wife they could uh, whatever and you might feel really mad at them about it and say i never want to talk to you i never want to see you i'm never gonna you know or i'd rather just fight you or something but to start this process is to love them and show mercy to them and um to hope that god um draws them to repentance and be restored to a good relationship with god and with the church um and and really love is behind all of this and and that should also be a reminder if you are going to do this process you should not be doing it out of anger or vengeance to try to expose them or make them feel uh less than you but in order to um lead them to restoration yeah and i think it it's just helpful to note too that that Jesus here is giving you know the general principles. He's not saying that um, like it's like we shouldn't take it so woodenly as to be like okay I tried once to you know confront my my brother with his sin and it didn't work so now I immediately go to the next step like there's nothing that prevents us from. Um, from attempting multiple times to resolve this on this first level and and from attempting multiple times to resolve this on the second level there like there isn't a set it's not like oh one and one and done so go to the next one and one attempt and then go to the next it's not 
it's meant to be a, a slow process because just as we kind of were talking about last time with the, you know, the, the James passage and stuff like that with being slow to speak and slow to become angry. Like we are very, when our, when our emotions are firing, especially when we get angry or upset, you know, our, our initial, you know, our temptation is to just ratchet things up. Right. And this is meant to slow it down. Right. Um, Because we don't want to get to that last part unless it's absolutely necessary. And so it, so it doesn't mean that, Oh, I tried once and then now I got to move to the next one. Um, There is, there's certainly freedom in there to try multiple times before going to the, the next level and trying multiple times on the next level before moving to the So, so that it's, you know, because the goal is, is repentance and restoration. It's not to get to that final level. Like that's not the goal. That's just, you know, if all else fails and all of our multiple attempts fail, then it's, it's meant to be like, like you were mentioning that it's meant to be uh, like, you're standing on the edge of a cliff, man. Right. So like, finally, at this point, it's like the, the excommunication is pronounced to it's a last ditch attempt, as it were, to shake you out of your sinful stupor and be like, wake up, man, this is dangerous to your soul. That's why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that doesn't mean that we have to race to that. Right situation and if we skip all of this it's really harmful i just spoke to someone who um uh this couple had been like sunday school teachers in a church and one of uh one of the people um uh one of the people had uh been sinning and uh it became the church became aware of it and they must have talked about it privately or something. I don't know all the details and this was a long, long time ago, but you know, from the perspective of one of the, one of the people, not the sinning party, but the spouse, uh, the church basically just skipped all of the steps. And uh, I guess I think that they maybe went like one time or something to the sinning party um, on behalf of the church and then excommunicated that person. And then they lost the, the couple, um, and they've never been back in church, um, and still feeling really hurt by the, that, that they didn't go through any kind of helpful process and who knows what would have come of it. Maybe there wouldn't have been repentance and restoration, but, um, I think what happened in this case is that the sinning spouse uh, may not have ever repented. It doesn't sound like that person was ever probably going to repent, but the spouse uh, would have, you know, would not have been offended by the church going through, not going through the right process. And now it hurt two people. And and uh, it really ended up being such a mess. And um, 
And so the church didn't have integrity in that regard. Um, and they have a process laid out right here for us and they didn't follow it. And it's easy, it's easy to jump ahead, especially if we know something is really wrong. And um, if we're really upset about it or surprised by it or angry um, to just jump to the end. And, uh, and that's not right. And that's not the loving thing to do. Yeah. And they, this whole, this whole process really ought to be a, a heartbreaking process, mm -hmm. not something that we enjoy doing. But again, we just want, we always want to remember that the goal is repentance and restoration, just as, you know, God's goal and will and desire for for us and for all people is repentance and restoration to him. And, and we can think about how many times, you know, he pursues us and, and he withholds his harshest judgments, um, giving us opportunity to, you know, to feel the conviction of the law, to hear the reality of our sin, the call to repentance and over and over and over again. Right. And so, Obviously, we are not God. We're not going to do that with the same kind of patience and, and long suffering that God does. But that should be also a model for us. Our desire is always for restoration and repentance. And yes, there, there, will, there may come a time where you have to take that final step. But that's not something that we should rejoice in or that we should be anxious to get to. Right. And so, we want repentance. We want restoration. And so we're going to go many times imploring the one who is sinning and refusing to repent to continue to call them to repentance. And, and when we talk about excommunication, like, you know, if it comes to the point where, where we have to say, I can't, you know, I can't commune you at this time until this sin is repaired, like that also doesn't have to be uh, broadcast to the entire congregation that can be something that again is handled by you know probably better than just the pastor on his own it shouldn't just because that's uh that can raise its own questions and problems but maybe like pastor and church leadership like elders for example you know or such where we're together they're so that they're on the same page so that if there are questions or there's witnesses in that way to say like, this has been done in a right way, but, but to keep that as small as possible. And again, the hope for repentance and restoration as soon as possible. And so, um, so again, all of this is, is with that desire for repentance and restoration. And I do want to say, there are some situations in which this process would not be good to follow. And that would be, and that would be in a situation in which, say, the person who has sinned against you or against another person is a danger to that person. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so we could just we could think of like an abusive situation. Or a murderer. Yeah. So, you know, where there's, uh, you know, the person who would be seeking out their 
uh, the one who offended them uh, would be in danger. Okay, so so I'm just I'm just saying that because sometimes sometimes it has been presented in that way, such a, in cases like abuse, for example, that oh well, you know, follow the Matthew 18 process. I was like, that's not a good idea because the safety and well-being of that of the one being abused is is in play there. We don't we wouldn't want to put them at risk. So, so there so there would be you know a certain few exceptions in that way but the exceptions are never the rule right so so i just want to acknowledge that it's not that that does exist but by and large in the vast 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 majority of cases uh this is going to be the way to go mm -hmm. if that makes some sense um it seems to me that this process would also weed out a lot of the situations that you might even have misunderstood or something. Yeah. So like if you didn't really have evidence, uh, maybe you're now going to second guess because if you have to go to that person and confront them, you're going to make you have to make sure that you actually know that they did something wrong. And then if you're going to get gather a couple of witnesses and go with them you need to give evidence that they need to be able to witness be a witness of in order to go and confront this person and even in the process of you going by yourself and then with a couple of witnesses you're going to be talking to them privately and you might be able to clear it up like oh i didn't mean to hurt you or uh i didn't know that's what happened or um they might you know, there might be some clarity that's brought to the situation, or maybe you realize that, um, you know, there was way more to this story, um, and you get the context, uh, and and maybe uh, there's other resolutions, or you get gain more information through this. So there's uh, many ways this can end up being helpful, um, and it shows good process. Yeah, and I know we're coming close on time, but we can just add this part in it too. Um, what am I trying to say? Like, because we've talked about, you know, um, you know, not necessarily sharing things that you know or, or whatever, but I'm just thinking about this in terms of the context of, like, say, private confession and absolution mm -hmm. and you know, and talking to your, to your pastor. Um, so I don't know. I don't know about like with the LB and the AFLC, if, if the, is there anything in your, in your ordination or installation rights that speaks concerning what we might call the seal of the confessional? Is that explicitly mentioned in for you guys, do you know? Uh, not in the AFLC's um, vows. Um, I in the Missouri Synod, they do have vows about that. I think. And same um, with the the AALC. It's it's uh, that's part of the public oath before the the congregation is you know that for example like uh, I that I promised by the help of God not to divulge anything that is confessed to me yep. in the privacy. Um, I've understood that under the teaching of a Lutheran uh, pastor that I remember specifically talking about this. Um, 
that we are all held to it anyway by this commandment um and that all christians really are too um and of course we're held to a higher standard as pastor and and things might be divulged to us that wouldn't be divulged to anybody else um so it's more important more serious thing and that those vows probably are a good idea um to reinforce that but it's already something that we're held to by the scriptures um like with this process and um and everything um but particularly you know we the things that are shared with us privately the things that we shouldn't share are the ones that hurt our neighbor's reputation if they are things that actually help them you know like that can actually be good to share um i'm not saying you should just go around talking about other people and we got to be very careful about even sharing the good things but um you know we are especially just looking out for how to be loving to our neighbor and that's what we're help, held to to be truthful uh and whether you take those vows or not there are certain things where we are required as mandatory reporters and stuff to share something that is given there um maybe those vows complicate that matter a little bit because if you've sworn to never share then you couldn't even share that this person's planning on killing somebody or something like that um and yeah. I mean, that's that's a that's a whole other thing as an ongoing discussion about how the two relate the um the main the main reason for bringing that up is i was just saying i was just trying to say that you know if you if you're you know brother or sister has sinned against you and you're struggling with with that you know or you know you are aware that such and such a person did this or you've heard that and i guess part of what i'm saying is or trying to say maybe i'm fumbling around with this is that it's not it's not gossip and such if you take that to your pastor for example they say i'm struggling with this because i've heard this you know and then we can counsel and say well you know like is there evidence for that or you know let's keep in mind the eighth commandment or i'm struggling with you know uh i'm really angry at my brother because he did this to me and and we can give you know, both hear confession and and pronounce absolution and give counsel in those situations so like so i guess what i would say is like you know you don't need to worry about you know like if you're burdened with something like that or whatnot of coming and and speaking to your to your pastor um that wouldn't be like gossip and rumor mill kind of a thing um if that makes sense, that was kind of fumbling around, but, but that was the, the chief reason why I was bringing uh, that part up, but, but also along with that, that, you know, the confessional, as it were, is, well, it's a, it's a safe place in that what you confess to your, to your pastor by, by and large, like, again, we have the, leaving the mandatory reporting thing aside for the general illustration what you what you confess to to your pastor what you speak to your pastor about you know in private you know being bound by you know this commandment for example 
you know, it becomes a safe place because people aren't going to want to confess their sins if they know that it's just going to be blabbed about. Right. And so, and so it's a very, so, you know, just to say that we, we take that very seriously and it's a very serious breach of pastoral duty and calling and responsibility to break that seal of the confessional. Like it's, it's serious enough that you could, that you could find yourself defrocked and so on. But anyways, so, but, but that's kind of connected to, it's okay to talk to your pastor about, you know, these kinds of things. And also to know that we are not going to go blab it to anybody else. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that those sins are forgiven and tossed mm-hmm. in the bottom of the sea, you know, like I, I was reading one thing that described it like, you know, when you confess those things to the pastor, they are locked up and the key is thrown away. They are never to be mentioned again. And you also don't need to worry about them because they're forgiven and um, and they're gone. And so. Um, that's a, a wonderful thing um, to be able to have that. And we want people to be able to trust us. And it, it just even for you Christians out there who aren't pastors, if your friend confesses their sins, that's not something for you to share either. And mm-hmm. and at that point is a great chance to share the gospel with them. Except if other people will think it's funny, right? <laughs> Not even then. Not even then. then. Fellas, we have hit the end of our time. Do we need another episode on this commandment or are we going to wrap this up? I think Ben says two more. We're doing it. (laughs) Uh, Ben, would you close us up in a word of prayer, though? Yeah. So this prayer comes at the end of the explanation to the eighth commandment in the catechism edition that we're using um so let's pray guard our lips O lord and govern our unruly tongues so that our words about our neighbors are not tainted with falsehood betrayal or slander which would damage their reputation instead give us the wisdom to speak well of our neighbors defend them and explain their circumstances and actions in the kindest way through jesus christ our lord Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.